So, um, as we open up here tonight uh, in seal number seven here, this is the last seal in Revelation. So we're going through uh, the six seals prior. Each one kind of has its own judgment that's unleashed or something that's happened during this time of tribulation. Um, and so seal number seven is the worst seal um, based off the kind of judgment that's unleashed, the punishment that God is going to unleash upon the earth during this time. Um, if you guys took note, though, the last time we talked about Revelation, we had what we call a salvation interlude. So it was like this chapter or several verses between seal number six and seal seven that kind of takes a break from the action, and it talks about how eventually all the saints will be rejoicing in heaven, worshiping and praising God. Um, you know, God basically acknowledges those that are honoring him uh, and kind of takes a break from all the punishment and just kind of pauses and, and reflects and rejoices with those that are not partaking in the things of the world, those that are honoring him. Uh, which is kind of a cool thing. Like I said, it, takes, it shows you that even in the midst of God's wrath and in his anger, he can pause and his love can still shine through. So that's a really cool thing. Um, what? Okay. Um, so in seal seven here, um, you're going to get to, uh, again, the worst kind of judgment that happens. But there's some really fascinating things in this seal when it gets released or gets opened. Um, and I want you guys to kind of take note of a few important things here. We're going to spend probably a few weeks going through seal number seven because there's a whole lot that's involved in, in it. It's not just one judgment or one punishment. It's a whole bunch of judgments and punishments all put together. Um, so the first one here, I want to read it off to you guys. <clears throat> it's in Revelation chapter 7. I'm sorry. It is actually Revelation chapter 8. Uh, and it says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So as soon as the seventh seal is opened up, there's just silence in heaven for about a half an hour, what it says, which is really um, detailed. Now, why would it why would there be silence? Uh, people debate this, the theologians go back and forth on this, but more than likely there was silence in heaven because um, what's about to be read, what's about to be unveiled, is going to be the worst kind of punishment that anybody's pretty much ever seen. And so there's kind of a reverence uh, and an and a anticipation, a buildup, until the seal is actually read. Um, does that kind of make sense? It's almost like, you know, the start of a ball game, a big ball game. You know, you have all these events kind of leading up to the ball game. And sometimes there's kind of a, a kind of breath someone takes before the, uh, the first kick. You know, there's kind of a moment of like everybody's anticipation is building. And all of a sudden now here comes the action. Uh, it's kind of similar to this. And so there's silence for 30 minutes. And then it says, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. And this is important to note here. Um, because the seven angels with the seven trumpets are going to reveal what they call the seven trumpets of judgment, basically. So each trumpet that is sounded, another judgment comes forth. But all of that is involved in seal seven. Does that make sense? So that's what I'm saying. Seal seven is not just one judgment. It's multiple. And so the first thing to kind of note is again, there's 30 minutes of silence to open it up. And then once the seal is opened, you begin to have seven 
call it here. This is followed up by the seven bowl judgments, and we'll get to all that later. So that's what I'm saying. It's very, very detailed. But I want you guys to catch something really important here. As you conclude on here in, in chapter 8, it says that another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Now, again, this is all kind of taking place around the altar of God in heaven, or the throne of God in heaven. You guys remember that in the very first part of Revelation? So all this is basically taking place still around the throne room or in the throne room of heaven uh, here in Revelation. And so we're still taking place in that scene. And it says, He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, which is the throne of God here in heaven. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. Now, okay. I want you guys to, so I, I, when I first read that, I was like, first off, we don't have a lot of censers today. What is a, you know, what is a censer? Um, and secondly, it's like, wh why is that so significant? That it's like all this incense and kind of actually came along with the Catholic Church, you know, the incense and things like that. But back then, incense really was an important thing, and, and, and I'll explain that here, yeah. Was incense like, was that like preparing for death or something? Um, very little thing. Yeah, you probably could use incense for that. Uh, incense is kind of like an aroma, um, almost like a smoky aroma. It smells good, like a perfume kind of smell, yeah. Um, so it was used for several things back then, but it was also, so there's still some churches there, like the Catholic Church and things, that use incense in part of their worship, but majority of the church has kind of, you know, not put that, put that to the side. They don't use that practice anymore. Back then, it was a big deal. So I, went, I did some research, and I kind of figured out why this is so important here in Revelation. So a censer, just to kind of let you guys know, was a small container used to hold coals that you might burn. Um, so a censer was a small container used to hold coals. Incense is then put on the coals, and as the coals begin to burn, whatever kind of incense you put on the coals the smoke and stuff would smell like that incense. And so as you're burning the incense, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to smell a certain way. And back then, they were called and they did sacrifices and things like that, so you make it pleasing and aroma to the Lord. And then ultimately, as you go into the New Testament, you're called to your life to make it pleasing and aroma because you are now a living sacrifice. You're not sacrificing animals anymore. You're sacrificing your, your life and you're giving your life to Christ. And through that... God, Jesus says that you are a pleasing aroma to him. So it all kind of ties in together. Back then, the sacrifices had a pleasing aroma. Now our lives, we live for Christ, has a pleasing aroma to God. So here's what's important, though. I want, you to, read it. I want to read it, read it off to you guys. This is what's really fascinating about Revelation, which we're going to start taking note here as we, as we go through some of this stuff here. Is the Old Testament is all kinds of tied in to Revelation. And this one here takes place in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. And I'll read it off to you guys. It says right here, and this is during the Day of Atonement. It says, Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. 
And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. So, I know what that is. So, the Day of Atonement, anybody know what that is? The Day of Atonement. So, back then, they would have a, I'll put this down here, a censer relates to Day of Atonement. Okay, so the Day of Atonement was where the priest, one day out of the year, the priest of the people would go into the Holy of Holies, uh, which, was a, uh, which was a sacred part in the temple that only they went in once a year, and they actually tied a rope around the priest uh, in his waist or his, or his leg, because if he died, they want to make sure they take him out without going in there. Um, it was, it was a pretty legit series of events. And the Day of Atonement is basically where the priests of the people would go to the Holy of Holies, which is where the mercy seat of God, which is where they believed the presence of God resided, and he would basically atone for all the sins of the people. And so he would ask forgiveness of all the sins of the people, ask God to forgive them, to bless them, you know, things like that. Before he went into that, that, that mercies of mercies of the Holy of Holies, he had to make sure he, he was purified and clean and he was in the right place with God. Uh, and he had, he had to make sure he followed certain procedures. If not, they would actually be struck down and die. This, this would happen to them. That's why they put the rope around them in case they, they weren't righteous. Um, so um, during this time, he took a censer of coals and the incense was burned on the censer. And that was then put all, around the mercy seat showing that he's, he's given this incense up to God, uh, asking to be atoned for their sins. It was a pleasing aroma. So they take that imagery here in Leviticus. It is played out in a higher level here in Revelation. But this time you're going to see it's not necessarily just the incense. You're going to see the incense is replaced here in a second with the prayers of the saints. And I want to read it off to you guys. Now catch this. This is where it gets a little bit confusing, but I'm going to try to explain it. So it says, in the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascend before God from the angel's hand. So again, it's similar to what happened in Leviticus. It's all around the throne of God. All this incense and the prayers of the saints are surrounding the throne of God. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, and then he threw it to the earth. And it says, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Here's what this is important. Incense is related to prayer. Prayer is described like this because incense is a fragrant, fragrant, much like perfume, and our prayers are what's pleasing to God. So even in the midst of all this um, uh, drama that's happening, all these judges that are happening, John 4, seal number 7, is unleashed. You know, takes in the prayers of the saints, the incense, the pleasing of all of his people, those that even though they're suffering on earth, that he's taking in the prayers, listening to those prayers, taking those in, and thinking about his people before the judgment's released. This kind of shows God's character that before the judgment, before all this wrath begins to happen, again, he, he, he pauses once again, takes in all the prayers of the saints, remembers his people, thinks upon his people, 
and then issues the judgment to the earth. And I think this really just shows God's character that above judgment, God really desires to be in relationship with his people. And each and every judgment that is, that is issued during Revelation, it can almost be summed up as, um, oh, the earth is coming to an end, and this is God's punishment. Each judgment, after each judgment, people have a chance to repent and turn back to God. It's not like they have no hope during this time. And each judgment should waken these people up to say, wow, something's happening. Somebody's above us. Somebody's causing all this. Maybe the way we're living is not right. Maybe there is a God. And so God is, is very much uh, pleading, wanting the people to turn back to him during this time. And I think that's why this verse is so important here, that in the midst of all this judgment, God's focus before the wrath is to just take in and be and, 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 and the prayers of the saints and just really um, spend a moment listening, hearing, showing that he cares, showing that this is what he truly desires. You know, the wrath has to happen because God is just, but God ultimately wants all people to turn back to him. And that's his ultimate desire. Um, so I want you guys to think about this. During this time here on earth, God's children are suffering. They're in persecution. The world has turned very anti-Christian. So if you're a Christian living for God, you're probably not highly esteemed in society. You're probably getting persecuted left and right. Um, however, this also reminds us that God is still there, even in the midst of the highest persecution the earth has ever seen for Christians. God is still listening to the prayers of the saints. He's still taking that in. He's still caring. He's still trying to be there, a comfort to them and an encouragement during this time. And that's something to really think about. Again, although God's wrath has to be done because he is just, and that's part of God's character, his love is constantly being shined through here. His love and his grace and his care for his children. Um, also, sometimes I think this reminds us that sometimes we face tribulation because when we face tribulation, it forces us to pray and to look back to God. And during this time, if you're left on earth, you know, you're, you were probably you're not a Christian originally. You may be a Christian now, but a lot of the people on this earth are still not following God. They've seen all these judgments come forth, and they still haven't repented. They're still worshiping the, the Antichrist and the beast, and, and, and the world is in total disarray right now. And so sometimes uh, God may allow us to go through tribulation or, or, or issue forth tribulation in life, to get our attention is a wake-up call to say, hey, look, you need me. Because you think you can do this life by yourself, but obviously you can't. And that's what God is going to show through all this tribulation here. Because people think they don't need a God. They, they can be the ones that are in charge. They're the ones that are powerful. They have all the wealth and the abilities. They have all the technology. They don't need God anymore. And God's showing them in each judgment, without me, you're nothing. Without me, none of this is possible. And so it forces the people as well even if they don't want to admit it, to realize there is a God that's higher than them and that he is the one on the throne. And so, what do you guys think about that? Trials can force us into prayer. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a really good thing. If you think about people in life today, some of the absolute worst criminals and people that have done some of the most, you know, horrendous acts, 
once they get into jail, once they get punished and caught for that, and, and some kind of judgment happens, a lot of times in that moment, they begin to reflect upon their lives, realize that the, the way they were living was not right, that they don't have all the power and authority they thought they did. And a lot of these prisoners and people that uh, have committed terrible crimes end up actually giving their life to Jesus while they're in prison. And a lot of them end up coming out of prison a totally different person. I'm not saying it happens every time, um, because again, you'll see in Revelation here, many people don't repent still. But some people, it does, it does get their attention. And so I think this is an effective method that God uses. And although this, this wrath is going to be fulfilled and it has to happen, it, it also is forcing people to realize there's a God and he's on the throne. And again, God's opened his eyes and they turn to him. And that's why he's taking the prayers and rejoicing in that. So <clears throat> I want you guys to think about this, this last part here. Um, we're going to get into over the next five week or two these seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments and what that entails. The first one is the um, when uh, the first trumpet, I'll just read it off to you guys, and like I said, we'll dive into this more next week. The first angel sounded, and hell and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up as well. So I want you guys to think about Hell, fire, mixed in with blood, thrown to the earth, all the grass getting burned up, and then also uh, was a third of a third of the trees just gone. Okay. Um, what's important to note about these seven trumpet judgments is that's not natural. Okay, that's not that doesn't happen regularly. Some of the other judgments prior to this, people could say, well, it's just some kind of coincidence. It's just some kind of natural disaster that happened. You know, it, it, it's not that necessarily God's doing this. It's just some kind of crazy turn of events. <clears throat> or they could say some kind of witches or whenever people, sorcerers, are trying to create this. But this kind of stuff here, when you start seeing these judgments, nobody can create that but God. And this is truly a supernatural event that you're now going to see take place. And so it's almost like God put these judgments in place to point people back to him, people still didn't repent, so now we're going to go to the next level up and show that there's no way you can doubt there's a God now. And you'll see later on that when Jesus eventually comes back, there's absolutely no doubt that Jesus is real. But what's sad about that is people are still going to deny him even then. Even when he comes back to earth, and everybody knows that this is from God, this is from Jesus, people's pride, people's um, lack of humility is still going to overrule, and there's going to be tons of people that still don't follow Jesus. And that's what I think about, you know, in our lives today, that if we know all this is going to happen, this should really put an urgency in us to share our faith with our friends and our family and those that are lost. Because when somebody has their heart hardened toward God, the longer they stay in that, the longer they, they stay in their pride and their lack of humility, the harder it gets as they get older to accept Christ. If you think about this, if you look at statistics, most people that accept Christ, I think, are around teenage years to early, early adulthood. Maybe even kids. It's, 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 in, that, it's in that gap. Once people turn 30 and above, it, it drops dramatically. People come into faith. And a lot of that's because at that point, you kind of decide in your heart what you're going to believe, what you're going to follow, and you make your mind up. 
And so in your age, in middle school and high school, even as you go into college, people still were searching, people were still looking, people were still open a lot of times to what's out there and what's real. And is there a God, is there not a God? So you guys can be some of the best missionaries in the entire world because people may really listen to you at your age. And you can change generations to come if you share God with these, with these people. But if you don't share God with them now, and people don't share it with them when they're in college, and then maybe somebody shares it once with them when they're 30-something, sure, they can still come to know Christ. But at that point, their heart is so hard against Him, even if they know that He's real, they can still deny it. And that's what's going to happen here in Revelation. All these adults, all these rulers and kings, through that power on earth, even though at the end of Revelation, there's no doubt there's a God, and they're going to have to acknowledge that, they're still going to deny Him because their heart is that hardened against Him. So I want you guys to think about that today. People at school, you know, you are in a great mission field. You have a great opportunity. When people's hearts aren't that hardened against God right now, you have a chance to really show them the gospel and lead them to Jesus before they get to that point. Um, and so I want to kind of end there tonight. Uh, the last thing I want you guys just to, to think about tonight is Revelation is not all symbolic. You're about to see a lot of things that are could be symbolic, but Revelation as a whole is not all symbolic. These are real events that are going to take place. These are real things that are going to happen. When you look at the Bible and it says, you know, hell and fire and blood is going to happen, people have tried over the last several years to say, well, all that's symbolic and something else is going to happen. Well, if you take Revelation that way, it actually takes much, much more work to try to say that all this is symbolic and what it means than to just take it at face value. There are some things in Revelation that are symbolic. But these kind of events like this, these are real events that are going to take place. And when people try to sugarcoat this or wash it over and say, well, it's not, God didn't really mean that. That's the same problem we have in our society today. People say, well, God didn't really mean the homosexuality was wrong. God didn't really mean that abortion was wrong. When we start watering down parts of the Bible we don't like, or that seem intense, or that reveal God's wrath or His judgment. But the reality is, although God's love continually shines through, God's wrath also will take place. And there is judgment eventually. So people that harden their hearts against God and never turn back to Him, there's going to be some serious, serious judgment for all eternity for that. And it's important that we know that this is not just a symbolic thing. This is real. And Jesus is telling us this, and he's told us this for centuries, and yet people still don't believe. And that's why it's so important that you guys that do believe that you share this with others. Because if you don't share it, nobody else might either. And one thing I heard um, when I was doing some commentary was, when common sense makes sense, seek no other sense. That was kind of a cool thing. So he said when you're reading the Bible, if it seems like common sense, then don't try to dive into it more than you need to. Because you're going to make that common sense not make sense. Um, if, it's, if, it's, if it should be taken at face value, then take it at face value and accept that God is, God's word is true and that God knows more than we do. And unless it's clearly symbolic in the Bible, we should understand things in a real sense. The simplest understanding of hell, blood, and fire is simply hell, blood, and fire. And these things are going to happen. And so knowing that things are going to happen, it should change the way you live now but it should also change the mission you have to seek and save the laws of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us here, and we'll dive into some questions. You know, I thank you so much. This is for seal number seven. 
showed us God all of this is going to be a very dramatic event, and judgment's going to be unleashed upon the earth. Through all this, we see your love and your desire to be in relationship with us. And we know, God, that many will not follow you. Many will harden their hearts against you. We know that as we're living our lives today, God, many of our friends and our family that have turned against you, many of our friends and family that are put off against you, well, we have an opportunity to still share with them before this happens. We have an opportunity to still speak life into them, to show them your love and your truth. And God, we know that no matter what they've done, if they give their lives back to you, although there are consequences for our actions, you'll forgive them, you'll restore them, and you'll use their life for a wonderful, wonderful purpose, God, to point others back to you. Let us see you, let us see that in our lives, and let us glorify and honor you, God, when we say, thank you, in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of a discussion.